Well, if you've got a Bible, you can, uh, <clears throat> we're in Matthew 16 today, if you want to open up there. We've seen, um, to this point in Matthew, uh, several miracles that Jesus has performed. And we're going to see, as we do, uh, I think many a time, that the Pharisees question uh, Jesus, question who he is, question uh, his deity, and question uh, his authority. Matthew chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1, says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the skies, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. So he left them and he departed. Now, before this happened, Jesus had a couple of uh, feedings of several thousand people with just a little bit of food a couple of different times. We've seen other miracles before this that Jesus has done in Matthew's account. Um, but he just fed a bunch of people with a little bit of food, and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, came to and asked, them, uh, asked him to show them a sign. I, this just kind of boggles my mind after what he just did, right? No, no doubt word would have spread about the feeding of the thousands of people, the two different accounts of the feedings of the thousands of people. We also saw Jesus before this uh, walk on the water in the middle of the sea in a stormy night, um, Certainly word would have spread uh, about that account as well. And here you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the religious people of the day saying, well, what, what sign are you going to show us? Right? John records a similar account uh, of this as well. And so Jesus tells them, like, you have this ability, you can go outside and you, you can look at the weather and you can tell what, what the day is going to hold based on going outside, but you can't see the most obvious thing that's in front of you uh, is Jesus in his humanity fully on display, and his deity fully on display. And he tells them that there will be this sign given to an evil and adulterous generation, and that, that's a pretty scathing rebuke of humanity, right? An evil and adulterous generation. Uh, they seek a sign, but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. Now we have to ask the question, well, what is the sign of Jonah? And if you know, if you know your Bible, you might know The story of Jonah, an Old Testament prophet who God called Jonah to go to this place called Nineveh. Uh, In Jonah's estimation, a place full of of evil people that were not deserving to hear the message of God. And and God tells Jonah, I want you to go there. And Jonah went the opposite direction. God said, go left. Jonah went right. Uh, Went the opposite direction, tried to escape. He got in a boat heading in the opposite direction. Uh, and God caused the storm to come up, and, and Jonah eventually threw himself overboard in order to save uh, the people because he knew that this was something that God had brought about in his disobedience to get him to go the other direction. And Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Maybe you know, the, the, you know in, in Sunday school you hear the story of Jonah and the whale. Right? Jonah was swallowed by, the, by a great fish, the Bible tells us, and he spent three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish. Uh, and as the story would go, that all of a sudden the fish kind of vomits him out onto the shore. And, and you, you know where he ended up? He ended up in Nineveh, the place that God told him to go. So, so Jonah was kind of an unwilling participant in this. Um, 
And it sounds like kind of a crazy story, right? Who, who could get swallowed by a great fish and spend three days and, and three nights in, in the belly of a whale? So, sounds like it could be an allegory. It sounds like it could be a made-up story. Rest assured it's not. It's in our Bible uh, that, that's inerrant, infallible, true, the authoritative Word of God. And so, so we believe this to be an actual thing that, that really did happen. Um, and so Jesus tells them that the sign that this evil and adulterous generation would get would be the sign of Jonah. And Jesus is speaking of something, looking backwards at something and looking forwards to something that hasn't happened yet. He's speaking of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's going to be the, the quintessential sign of who Jesus is. Even though the miracles should speak for themselves, right, uh, to this generation, they didn't. And to our generation, they don't. Uh, but Jesus tells them that they'll be given the sign of Jonah, that Jesus will spend three days dead, raised on the third day, uh, and ascend into heaven, right? The difference, however, between Jesus and Jonah, that Jonah was an unwilling participant. Jesus was fully on board with the plan of the Father uh, for what went down, right? He was fully on board with the plan of the Father that He would come to earth to save sinners, that He would live a perfect life, perfectly obedient, the will of his father, that he would be condemned uh, as a criminal, uh, though he was innocent, that he would die the death of a sinner, taking on the sin of the world, uh, of all humanity, past, present, and future, upon himself, and imputing to those that would trust him his righteousness, and that it would cost him, what happened there? (laughs) It would cost him his life in doing that, and that he willingly participated. The father told Jesus it's time, and Jesus didn't go the other way. Right? He, he came to earth. And so the sign, <clears throat> as if they have not seen enough already, the sign that this evil and adulterous generation would be given would be the sign of Jonah, that Jesus would spend three days in the belly of the earth and that he would come out like Jonah came out of the belly of the fish. Now, th- this matters. Th- this, this matters because... The Apostle Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if, that if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, the wheels fall off the bus of Christianity, right? If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, our faith is futile. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then even our preaching is in vain. And if our preaching is in vain, then your faith is futile. It, it doesn't matter. And so, so the quintessential sign of who Jesus is, is this sign of Jonah, that he would die and that he would rise from death, that he would conquer death. 1 Corinthians 15, going down to verse 17, the Apostle Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ or those who have previously passed have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. This is something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people of Jesus' day, even after the sign of Jonah happened, failed to understand this, failed to believe it, failed to trust in the one who conquered death. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, in order to understand them, again, they were the religious people of Jesus' day, and they were really, really good at religion. They, they were really, really good at morality. They were really, really good at piety, right? They, 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 knew, they knew their Torah. 
up and down, back and forth, inside out. They, they knew it. They were really good at following the rules. They were really good at, at making sure people knew that they were really good at following the rules, right? It was just part of the way that this group of people rolled. And their, their hope at the end of the day was that they could be good enough to earn God's favor. And Jesus, throughout the gospel accounts, in every encounter that he seemed to have with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was always, it never was a, hey, good job, guys. It was always some sort of a rebuke to the religious people of his day. Right? He, he had some of the harshest things that Jesus said were to the religious people of his day, not, not to the down and outers, not to the people on the fringe of society. Some of the most gracious words that Jesus had to say were to the people that, that you, and my, you and I might cringe at. Right? And that's just that's the way that Jesus rolled. And the Apostle Paul, speaking of the resurrection, tells us that, that if our hope is in this life only, if our hope is in our religiosity, if our hope is in our ability to be moral, if our hope is in our ability to be pious, if that's our hope and it ends in this life only, there's nobody to be more pitied than Christians. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, if, if our religion is just a religion of following the rules and trying harder to be better, Paul says there's no one to be more pitied than Christians. But Christ did raise from the dead, right? That, that, that's, that's central to, to Christianity, right? It's central to Christianity, the resurrection of Christ. It's what keeps the wheels on the bus. And so Jesus tells him of something that hasn't happened yet, that the sign of Jonah will happen in reference to his forthcoming death, burial, and resurrection. Then in verse 5, it says, When the disciples reached the other side, they, they were on a boat going across the water, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do, not re- do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak of bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, so just kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people, they, they didn't quite get what Jesus was saying. He has this moment with his disciples where they don't quite understand what he's saying either. Right? He tells them to be aware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and all they can think about is how hungry they are and that they forgot to pack a lunch for their excursion. And, and Jesus is trying to give them an object lesson here. And so he has to tell them, guys, I'm not, I'm not speaking about bread. I'm not speaking about bread. I'm, I'm, I'm using this as an object lesson to beware of the religious people. Beware of religiosity. Again, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they were ultra-religious. Can, can, you, can you think of people who you might consider to be ultra-religious? I'm sure somebody comes to mind or a group of people might come to your mind. And so it kind of begs the question, well, what, what, if Jesus wasn't talking about bread here, what, what is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? What, 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 what is the object lesson? 
Jesus' disciples didn't get it, uh, and we don't want to make that same mistake of not getting what Jesus is saying. Even though we read in the Bible about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, make no mistake that those people still exist today. Those people have always existed. Right? The, the, the religiosity crowd has always existed. And maybe you've been a part of it. This is not limited to kind of this time in history. Throughout history, if you think about this, every religion in the world that's ever existed, that exists today, every religion in the world, their, their message is one that just says, try harder to be better. Their message is one that says, here's how you become a more moral person. How's, here's how you become a more pious person. It's the message of every religion. Every religion tells you, here's what you must do in order to draw near, to find favor, to please God. That's the message of every religion. Be better. Try harder to be better. The difference in the Christian message is that it's not one that says do. Now, now there is an obedience factor to Christianity, but, but the central message of Christianity is not one that says do. The central message to Christianity is one that says someone has done for you what you can't do for yourself. The central message of Christianity is one that says done. The central message of Christianity is not one that says try harder to be better. I think what Jesus is getting at here in this object lesson with his disciples is that the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the message to try harder to be better. The leaven of the Pharisees is the message that says, here's what you must do to please God or to earn his favor. Here's what you must do to draw near to God. Think about this. If it's really true that, that Jesus came to earth, that, that he was born of a virgin, if it's true that he lived a perfect life, which we believe that he did, perfect obedience to the will of his Father, never sinned, if it's true that he was condemned as an innocent man and died a death that he shouldn't have died, and if it's true that in the dying of that death that was not fair, that he took on your sin and my sin and all of the sin of all of humanity that has lived before us, that will live after us, if he took that on, if he really did die, if he was in a grave for three days, and if after three days or on the third day, if he stood up and walked out of that grave, and if it's true like our Bible tells us that he ascended into heaven, and if it's true that he, that he sits on his throne in heaven, interceding for us like our Bible tells us that he does, preparing a place for us like our Bible tells us he does, if all of that is true, let me pose a question to you. What is it that you think that you could possibly offer him? What could you possibly offer that guy? What could you possibly have to offer the guy that conquered death and orders and controls everything? What is it that we could possibly have to offer him that would please him? I don't think we have anything that we can offer 
God to please him in and of ourselves. Yet, every religion in the world is based on this idea that we have something to bring, that we have something to offer that would appease God. And and let me just tell you that that you don't. You, You cannot try hard enough to be good enough. The teaching of the religious people of Jesus' day, and again, the teaching of, of every religion that's ever existed, is what Jesus is talking against right here. The, the message of try harder to be better. Now, you might think that sounds like bad news that we don't have, like we're in this impossible situation where we don't have anything to offer God. right? If, if that were the end of the story, that would be bad news. It would be bad news if, if we can't please the God that controls everything and the God who uh, one day is going to make every knee bow and every tongue confess. Right? It, that would be bad news. But Jesus, because of Jesus, it's not bad news. Because Jesus has done what we couldn't do, that he's lived a perfect life and perfect obedience, because Jesus did what we can't do in conquering death, Because Jesus did what we can't do in imputing to us his righteousness because we don't have any of our own, then the news isn't bad, right? The the message of Christianity is trust in that guy. Don't don't try your hardest to do what you can to make him happy or to please him or, or to appease him, but trust in what he's done. Don't spend your effort trying to do, trust in what's already done. Are you seeing a difference between the message of religion and the message of Christianity? The Apostle Paul talks about in his letter to the his first letter to the Corinthians in the first chapter, verse eighteen, he says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The message that says that you cannot do enough. To please God enough. That, that, that offends us. Especially as, as Westerners who were like, you know, we, we conquered the world. It offends us when someone says you can't do something. As a matter of fact, have you ever done something just because somebody told you that you can't do it? Right? Just to prove them wrong? Like that's how we're built. That's how we're wired as humans. I've never wanted to do anything so badly until someone says, well, you can't do that. And it's like, well, yes, I can. Let me show you. And the Bible tells us that, that we, we can't. We can't please God. We, we don't possess anything in us to please God. But to the world, the word of the cross, that message is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, the, the Bible tells us, it's the power of God. Right? The Christian, we, we found this message not, not to be folly. We found this message to be true. And we've bought into this message and we've believed it because God has opened our eyes to believe. Paul goes on to say in that passage that where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? The the message of the cross, part of the reason that it's folly to those who are perishing is that it's backwards to the way that we naturally think. It goes against our natural inclinations as human beings. And that's why it's folly. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
God has designed the message of the cross to be folly. He's designed it to be backwards to our natural inclinations. He's designed it so that our approach to our faith is not an intellectual endeavor. And I'm not saying that we check our brains at the door. That's not, not that at all. Right? God has given us an intellect as a good gift that we should use it. But, but our faith is not in and of itself an intellectual endeavor. It's not about being smart enough. It's not about knowing enough. Right? We, we spend our whole lives as Christians you know, learning the Bible and knowing, studying it so that we would know more about it. And we're always going to do that. And that's a good and necessary and valuable thing. But what's at the center of Christianity is, is not intellectual. It's a matter of faith. And it's a matter of, of a message that, that many people are going to look at and say, that's dumb. That's offensive. I don't believe it. It's crazy. But God designed it that way that he would put our wisdom to shame. It pleased God, it says, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Right? Paul is making a point that, that God is bigger and smarter than us. Stronger than us. Right? The, the, the sovereign God of the universe who orders everything has designed this message to not be an intellectual endeavor. He's designed the message of the cross to be something that we take on faith. He's designed the message of the cross to be such that we would come to Him admitting our weakness and admitting our inability, admitting our sinfulness, admitting that that we're the problem that needs to be fixed. He's designed it to be that way. And so back, back to our passage in Matthew when Jesus is telling His disciples to not buy in and to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, to beware of the teaching of the Sadducees and Pharisees, I think he's telling them to, to be aware of, of empty religiosity. Empty religiosity that, that's absent the resurrection of Christ. Empty religiosity that tells you that you must do, 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 do. Rather than buying into the message that says everything that needs to be done is already done. <laughs> Right? We, we, we can talk about the factor of obedience another day. We're, we're not, our text doesn't go there, so we're not going to get in there today. Uh, it, your obedience to Christ does matter. I'll say that. But it's not what causes God to love you. It's not what causes God to be gracious to you. And so again, I'll pose the question, if, if, all, if all of this is true, if God is who he says he is, if Christ has done what we read that he's done, if he's conquered death, if he's conquered sin, what, what in the world do we possibly have to bring to him? The answer to that question is that we, the thing that we do have to bring to him is not, not our, the good things that we've done. Look at all these great things I've done. The thing that we have to bring to Christ is our brokenness and our sinfulness. And we don't have to be ashamed to bring that to him. 
I think sometimes we, we tend to kind of feel shame over that. But we don't have to bring that to him in shame. We can bring that to him in faith that, that he's going to accept us when we come to him in our brokenness and in our sinfulness, when we recognize it for what it is, when we repent. Like Jonah in that story, you know, God told him to go left and he went right and that was, that was a bad thing. But, but the word repent means I was going this way and now I went that way. And when we realize, unlike Jonah, that we're broken, sinful, fallen human beings, that we are the evil and adulterous generation and we turn from that towards God, that, that's repentance. And we can come to him in that brokenness and in our sinfulness, trusting that he will impute to those who do that the righteousness that he secured for us on the cross. So, so this, like, this matters, right? This, this matters. It's, it's a big deal. And, and so Jesus is telling his disciples to be, beware of something that tells you anything other than that. Beware of any teaching that leads you away from the truth of the gospel. Beware of, of any kind of teaching that tells you how hard you have to work to be a better version of you. Right? We, we live in an age today where you know, our shelves are filled with all kinds of self-help books. Right? Go to the bookstore and you'll, you'll see all kinds of self-help books. The foolish message of the cross is that there's not enough self-help to matter. There's not, there's not enough self-help to make you good enough or better enough. That's what Christ is offering to the world who largely scoffs at him, who largely looks at that message as being a foolish message. But maybe by virtue of you being here today, maybe this is a bit of preaching to the choir. Hopefully you've bought into the message of the gospel. Hopefully you've bought into the foolishness of the cross that says all of the things that we've said today. And I would just ask you to consider in, in, in your own approach to faith or your own approach to religion, do you, do, you, do you spend your time thinking more about what you must do, or do you spend your time thinking about what Christ has already done on your behalf that you couldn't do for yourself? And, and I will tell you that if, if your thoughts go towards Christ and, and what he's done, it, it will change your approach to your faith. It will change the lens through which you read the Bible. It'll change the lens through which you uh, look at other people. It'll change, it changes everything when, when you have the proper focus. And, and the focus is on what Christ has done, not on what we think we can do for him. And so I would just ask you to consider uh, today and consider as you go, consider frequently, often daily, what Christ has done and continues to do for you. Because Jesus tells us that any, any, other, any other message, be, beware of it. It's, it's not good. It's not a good thing. Like the Apostle Paul says, we, we preach here at this church, Christ and Him crucified. And I hope it's something that you never get tired of hearing because we, we go there every week. Christ and Him crucified because that's the message that matters. And so... Um, I hope that we're encouraged today that, that Christ has done for us things that we cannot possibly do for ourselves, and that's the message of the gospel. Father, we're thankful this morning um, that you love us. We're thankful that these things are true. We're thankful that you uh, have revealed yourself to us in your word with this truth, and uh, I would pray for all of us here, uh, even those that are part of us who are not here today, that you would help us 
uh, in our endeavor to continue to have uh, a right view of who you are, a right view of what you've done for us, a right view of our own brokenness and sinfulness, uh, a right view uh, of your work on the cross that has saved us. So God, help us to be not religious people that try harder to be better or not religious people that, uh, that peddle rules and piety, but help us to be uh, people faithful to the message of the cross that shine the light of the gospel in the dark parts of our community, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.